This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. You. Nice to meet you too. How lovely. Yes, how lovely. And I'm so happy that uh, that you reached out to talk because I have been totally, totally loving your book. And um, and uh, oh. yeah, I've been getting so much out of it. Uh, and it really came at a perfect time. Uh, I For me, actually, I had a, um, a miscarriage at the beginning of the year. So I was really looking for... Something to, it was such a, a bizarre, I had never, that experience is so intense. And um, so the, your book oh, yeah. came at like the perfect time to help um, reestablish a new connection with that part of my body. So <laughs> on a personal level, it's been, it was perfect timing. So I'm glad you reached out. Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, thank you. I know. It's such a bizarre thing. I don't know if you've experienced it, but I'm sure that you've worked with plenty of women that have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, quite, um, yeah, it's quite a special kind of loss. Yeah. It is. It is. It just seems to me actually like quite a spiritual gift. As a spiritual seeker, after a while, it was kind of nice to see, to to be at the precipice of both life and death. Uh, it's kind of a yeah. cool. It's kind of a cool place to be. I mean, I'm, I mean, it was devastating, and I, I, I've you know I've done a lot of work around it, so I'm feeling much better now. <laughs> I couldn't talk about it before without crying, but now I now I'm kind of you know as a teaching, it's, as a teacher, it's such a potent moment. Right, that moment, right in between both things. Yeah, yeah. She's she's definitely um, the womb is definitely a place of death. Like as much as birth, the same. It's birth and death happens in there the same amount. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad. Anyway, so not to jump into that darkness right away, but um, I'll just tell you a little bit about the podcast. So I started this a couple years ago, and I just wanted to have more conversations. I personally just wanted to have conversations with women who are on the spiritual path because all my teachers had been men. And so then it it just was a really personal thing, and I had the opportunity with Ram Dass's network to, to do it. And then I had this question in the back of my mind, which was, is the spiritual path? different for men than it is for women you know and so that's kind of the gist of how the whole thing began and where the conversations are rooted in okay this is good I think it's a really yeah I think it's really good to open up these conversations because uh yeah a lot of women are in the position you're in so all of their teachers have been have been men and it, there are similarities and there are differences you know so yeah and tell me what you think those are I think that um I always imagine I mean I, I'm talking to you now this is the last day of uh, a yoga nidra teacher training and facilitator course 
And it was uh, 29 women and one man. And that was co-taught by myself and Philippe and Julie. So we had a two women and one man teaching team. And I usually give, I, I see it, there's a geometry to it. So the, the spiritual path that we're often given as um, in most uh, wisdom traditions, in yoga and in other traditions, it's almost like, I don't know if you can see, but it's like a triangle that's an upward pointing triangle. That's an ascension model. So the essential model the ascension model as a masculine spiritual practice requires effort and endeavor, you know, to get to the top of the mountain where the sheep is sitting. And that's a very common practice. You ascend, you progress, don't you? You get better at meditation or you get better at asana. And so you ascend. And that's where all the spirit is, somewhere up there, out of the body. Whereas if you think of the triangle down the other way, like in Yoni Mudra, downward pointing triangle, that is like more of the descent of grace. So the descent of grace is a Shakti triangle. Huh. So for women, as a, an embodied practice, yeah, is is a downward, it's a descent into the wisdom of the earth rather than trying to escape from the body. And so there is a place where those two meet, which is in the heart. You know, the symbol for Anahata Chakra in um, the esoteric anatomy of yoga is, a, is like, a, it's a, like a star of David. It has an upward-pointing triangle and it has a downward-pointing triangle and they meet in the middle. So you get this ascension to the realm of the spirit and then you get this descent of grace. And I would say that if you take all of these female siddhis or female superpowers like menstruation and menopause and, and miscarriage and birth and all of these powers and these are a receive the opportunities to receive the descent of grace if we have a conscious awareness of them. So for women you have to do a vision quest. Like a, a, you just wait to bleed. You know, there's visionary capacity in, in, in menstruation and in menopause and then a connection with powerful uh, sexual arousal with women. The whole there's so many ways that are fully embodied. Lactation is a city. Pregnancy is a city. You know, all of these things are ways that we can experience uh, um, in an embodied way. The, this the power of life moving through us. We don't need to get out of our bodies for that to happen. We just need to pay attention. <laughs> To things that everybody wants you to feel ashamed for. Right, and not talk about and not have as an experience. And Yeah, it's just it, 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 in certain circles, I move in a lot of yoga circles, things like menstruation and menopause and pregnancy are merely inconveniences instead of highways to like spiritual um, awareness and, 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 and deep knowing and wisdom. And so I like to welcome these things. And the difficulty is that we live in a patriarchy, which has made most of those things shameful because they don't want anybody to get connected to your own power because then you're really quite troublesome because you don't need some priest to show you the way to God because like you're embodying the visionary powers of, of, of life every time you bleed or you have a hot flush or, you know, all of that. Anyway, so it's quite a... Right, a well, different way of looking at things. <laughs> yeah, you know, and honestly, it was um, it, it's been part of the the uh, the struggle of my own personal life is that I I I never um, ascribed to the the keep keep quiet about what was going on with yourself. I've never been a, a fist pumping feminist, but I've always wanted to just share my own experience and. Um, and 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 in these last few months, I, I I understood why people don't talk, why women have not shared their true experience for many many years, because it's out there. You know, you're using the word cities, just in the embodied feminine, the cities. I mean, the capacity to um, hold life and death in the same moment and span through that spiritual breath within your own body and experience when you try to articulate that it, it sounds pretty nuts it only sounds nuts to people 
who 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 don't pay attention. Right. Exactly. Like it, it, right. it, it, <laughs> of course not. Pay attention. What happens to a to a girl when she starts early, or what happens to a woman when she's become pregnant, or and you know what happens at lactation or menopause or giving birth. You only have to look a little bit with your eyes open to see that the, the, the awesome powers of life herself are moving through these bodies. You just have to, you don't have to look very hard. So it only seems nuts because we're told not to look. We're told to look somewhere else, you know? So. And why and do you think that is? I mean, what, what do you think it was? Why, why, why were we told to look somewhere else? Or what is it that inspires that desire to, make us look away from that power well because if you want to run an if you want to run an empire or establish a a, a holy roman empire or a catholic church you, you can't have lots of women with their own powerful connection to the divine so you don't have to mediate you know what i mean if you want to control power i mean i i am a fist pumping feminist i think there's no point getting a feminist unless you're a strident feminist because all you have to do is open your eyes and you see that every structure that we inhabit, to down from capitalist economics to the education system, is designed to disempower people. If you want to run an empire, um, whether that's a Catholic empire or a Roman empire or some version of the two or, or, or U.S. capitalism, basically you want to disempower people. So it's very important that you make, you can't take that power away from women. You can't stop women bleeding. You can't stop them having female orgasms, which are another manifestation of the divine. You can't stop them giving birth or, or, or um, experiencing death within the womb or having menopause. You can't stop women doing that. But what you can do is make them very ashamed about it so that they want to hide that power. It's like, I always use this metaphor. I spend a lot of time training yoga nidra teachers, so I spend a lot of time asleep or in dream. We've just done like 30 yoga nidras en français in French. It was amazing. But what I say is imagine a world where a human was allowed to let anybody else know that they ever went to sleep. Okay? Imagine a world where she, sleep is shameful, where this natural function is so totally disgusting and abhorrent that you must never tell anyone that you ever feel sleepy and you must never let anyone see you sleep. And it, that is clearly, it's a natural human function and we need to do it. Or so is menstruation and menopause and all these other things. But we have to behave like none of that happens. So the power and the amazing healing forces of, of sleep, if we lived in a world where you weren't allowed to sleep, would be something like people would start dying and going crazy. But pretty much <laughs> that is what we've done with menstruation. I mean, forget about anything else. Forget about the medicalization of the natural birthright of like birth and, 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 and how it is to have a powerful menopause and all of these things which are now medical problems. They're not. They're initiations into power. And that's why the female experience of the spiritual path is different than the male path, because it's encoded in our DNA. We get cyclical wisdom, and sleep is like that. So just imagine if you had to pretend not to sleep. It's exactly the same kind of craziness, really. You know. So when you said it, it seems nuts to talk about these things. From where I stand, it seems totally crazy not to. Well, no, I mean, I, I mean, personally, the, I, I feel the same. I personally feel the same way. But what I was saying, this uh, this last experience gave me my first real um, feeling of of oh, I understand why women up until now have not been sharing their experience because because okay. nobody wants to hear it. <laughs> and <laughs> and put this particular experience of mine. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to know that yeah. it's so wild. And, um, and, uh, and so I guess then my question to you, and this is not, I know where your work is focused, but what's, what, how do you bridge that gap? Do you just, or is, it, is the step just to empower more and more women to have the capacity to recognize these things as cities and to share about them? Or how, how do you get yeah. across the way so that we can, um, all of us benefit and embrace this power. 
that, Melanie, is the question. <laughs> this is the best question to ask. So I've spent like 20 years doing this work and I've spent my whole life like with feminist perspectives. And what I see is that one very powerful way is woman by woman, womb by womb, womb, like awakening the recognition that the power is within us and that we don't have to feel ashamed of it. So that's one way. And I've, I've been doing that work and lots of people are doing that work. I work with um, the people at redschool.net, which is why menstruality consciousness teachers online there also. Loads of people all over the world. There's a red tent movement and there's a lot of very beautiful. And that's like one woman at a time. And also in circles of women. I think women function as, as our, in, in our optimal way in circles with other women. And if we separate off from each other and think of this as an individual quest, then then we miss the point. So I work with circles of women and circles of sharing and circles of community. But and so I work mostly at the like emotional, physical and psychic level of each individual woman. So I share practices that help people help women feel connected to cyclical wisdom. And then they make changes in their lives around that that are quite impressive but I also think that we need legislation around it so I'm working to bring um, menstrual policies into schools and workplaces I do it at a small level like with my own daughter's school and I see that at an ecological level there are very important decisions to be made because because of the shame that we have around menstruation most women who bleed will wrap up blood in some plastic envelope and it then becomes a toxic biohazard so part of what you know it is it comes to this is the blood of life if each woman on earth were to give her blood back to the trees to the plants to the earth would renew the capacity of the earth to be a southern lovely thing and we wouldn't have a toxic biohazard there's so i'm i'm trying to raise awareness i've been working for so long at an individual level um, with circles of women and groups of women, communities of women and camps and, you know, there's a network of people but I actually now see there's a call for a global, like, legal and environmental responsibility. Women who bleed have a, a planetary responsibility to make a wise choice about what you do with that blood, you know? And I think that's actually... And, and it's very difficult to have those conversations because people are so ashamed so you see the toxic biohazard in the ocean and most of the plastic that's come around the British coastlines are like plastic tampon applicators and the plastic bits out of the back of panty liners. I can't give a, 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 you know, a, an invitation to women, don't put anything plastic near your yoni, insist on biodegradable, you know, planet-friendly menstrual products or use reusables or use a moon cup or a diva cup or some way that you can give the blood back to the earth because if we don't, that we continue to pollute right we're actually already polluted in ourselves there's a pollution of shame and that ends up being an active pollution of the oceans well but i mean to your to your point there's there's, mostly sacred activism yeah Yeah. well i mean i want i want to get into that i know about that part of your thing too but i want to just kind of jump in on this which is that you're, but through doing that, you're giving the woman even more power <laughs> because you're connecting her to the power of the earth and the power of that great change. And, I, and so this, this leads me into, you know, what, um, what is the foundation of your work is, is, uh, the, is Tantra, right? You, you, your work is rooted in Tantric study. So can yeah. you speak a little bit about how yeah, all of that is, is, is Shaktism, how all that is? Shaktism and Shaivism and, and Tantra and how that all is the foundation yes. of where this comes from spiritually. Yeah, thank you for this invitation. So, yeah, I usually have a little, like a, um, what would you call it, a, like a cautionary note, because some people think that Tantra is like Neo-Tantra and it's all about sex and orgasm, but actually Tantra literally just means a weaving it's a weaving of a thread of very powerful teachings that particularly in Shakta Tantra, so this is teachings that are really honoring the, the power of Shakti, which literally just means energy or power, but it's associated with the Devi, with the God. So it's an honoring of um, this uh, 
the the sense of the one way that's really important to understand it is that it sees the human body as a microcosm like that actually within the human body all the elements exist so the body itself is considered to be earth there's a system of philosophy in india called sankhya and that's kind of tied in the same structure is there often in the tantras and uh, things like the yoni tantra and the they relate to having respect for women and girls. So some of the words that I learned from these scriptures were things like the yoni pushpam, which means the flowers of the yoni, mm. which is the blood, menstrual blood. So there's an honoring for the functions of the human body, not just the female body. But in this system, you see each uh, energy center, each part of the body has an element. Each sense is related to the elements. So if we actually, it be sacralizes the human body and that we see the human body as, as a holy place and not separate from, but the same as everything else that's alive. So that when we practice um, uh, reverence for life and in the world, it's not just like divine life and honoring your, your deities, but actually honoring the human form as this microcosm. And that's a very powerful like positive affirmation of the power of life and the power of women and girls who are can be revered in these these tantras and there's lots of beautiful poems that honor every aspect of the goddess and many many stories that have this huge power of the goddess truly revered it's, it's very beautiful yeah so yoni shakti the book that i wrote is like one of the books that I wrote, the biggest one, so is, is all rooted in that system. And it was most popular in the kind of 10th century in India, but it has much older roots than that. And it has a kind of almost like a continuous presence of, uh, of, of uh, reverence for, for Ma. Ma is the, the, they're like the mantra of the deep feminine it's mother. We've just been... Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, when I was in India, I was with, yeah. a, uh, I was when I went to when I traveled to India, I was with a Vedantic teacher, and we went to all the Shiva, we went to all, we looked at a thousand, you know, Shiva lingams, and then I didn't, while I was there, I had no idea. Then when I uh, later had been looking on the internet, and I saw the, the Shakti, the, the, the Yoni, uh, pujas. I don't know what they're called actually, but the temples. That had the yeah, the only pujas. Yeah, the only pujas. I my mind was blown. I still can't even imagine the image that that to see to see that worshipped the way that the the lingam, the symbol of the lingam, you know, is not sexualized in the. It's not a it's not a Western mm-hmm. sexualization when you're when you're pranam you know you're you're, you're uh, Pranaming to the to the lingam, but when I saw the pictures, I have and I have yet to be to uh, <laughs> to a temple with a yoni. I was just like, how is that not sexual? How do you not have that feeling? Like, how does that not evoke the feeling? It's, it's such a different image. I, I'm just curious about it. Like, is it just? I'm wondering if that was just my Western programming, or because it was more. Um, anatomically representative than the the lingams which are just you know kind of rock sticking up or you get what i'm getting at <laughs> and some of they're like openings to the caves uh, yeah. you know and um but often you 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 rarely see the lingam without some kind of yoni to to hold to hold right. it you know when you do the pujas yeah. to the lingams there's always a yoni yoni shape to to receive Correct, and I think it's this quality of understanding that the power of the strength and the power of this shakti is is in reception. It's in receiving the powers of life that moves through, you know, it, it, rather than um, you know the ascension. And but it's a very powerful image that you're describing, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it is a powerful image, but it also is, you know, it's just. I guess I'm just. Oh, how do I want to describe this a little bit? I want to say, you're talking about powers, you're talking about cities, the inherent DNA um, mm. transfer of 
different cycles of power within the female body, right? And then the visual image. Mm. And um, what is it really that we're resistant to? I know it's not you and I, but what is it really that we, are, as a culture, are resistant to in that, in that opening? Oh, that, you see, that's, you have all the good questions. <laughs> I, well, they're, I, big, they're based on, they're much inspired much. by you, so. Um, yeah, but I, I, I feel that I usually only have one answer to most questions, and that's just like, well, ça dépend. That depends, you know, it depends how you look at it. But if you look at it as like, what is that, the yoni or the shakti, the power of Shakti really about, and mostly it's about, it's kind of about uncertainty in lots of ways. Mm. It's unpredictable. I mean, there is cyclical wisdom, but a lot of what did it to be deeply feminine, and I, I, I make no apologies for using that word. I know a lot of my very radical friends think I shouldn't use the word feminine because they say it's a patriarchal concept and it's a construct. But what I'm talking about when I talk about the deep feminine is like, the essence of that darkness, and it's the essence of time herself. I work a lot with the ten wisdom goddesses, the Dasha Mahavidyas, and each one of those wisdom goddesses is almost like an aspect of feminine, another aspect. And it's so diverse that you need ten goddesses, and, and there's such a sense that what we're, what we're scared of in some ways, is the unpredictability of this and the fact that actually it's a very deep power that you can't really control. You, you can't control the power of life. Like, for example, you know, you may become pregnant, but there's no guarantee that that child is going to be born alive. It's not a dependable thing. We like to pretend like everything is very dependable, like you can have a career path and that you can make choices and that everything is under your control. And that's a very masculine process. It's la via positiva. You decide what you want and you go for it. <laughs> but actually, it isn't like that. And everybody knows it's not like that because at any minute you could be run over for, under a bus, you know. In the last few months, I've lost some very dear friends, young people. Who, who unexpectedly have, have, have died from terrible diseases very rapidly. You know, active, amazing people who, who should be here. But you don't know what's going to happen. And that's kind of like the Shakti of life. And I think there's a kind of really, God bless it, like a very kind of masculine, take a charge of it, patriarchal, take a hold of it, organize, organize the shit out of it. So there's no doubt and there's no confusion. And and everything is moving upwards, and there's endless economic progress, and um, that's clearly unsustainable. Do you know what I mean? Like, we only have one planet. We can't sustain that. But it's all part of the same package. And if you subscribe to that package, like if you get the right qualifications and you make the right choices and you go to the right universities and work for the right operations, then you'll have lots of money, and everything in life will be under your control because you've got the right health insurance or you live in the right neighborhood, and nothing bad will ever happen to you. And it's like that's a sort of sense of trying to get hold of life, whereas we all know that it isn't like that. And I think part of the reason people are resistant to women's power and the deep feminine is that actually it puts us all in the same boat, you know? You, me, and the President of the United States, we're all in the same boat because, like, at any minute, you know, Shakti might just, you know... <laughs> depart from us it, do you see what i mean it's like this actually no i mean really that was exactly i mean and that's really it. Yeah. and you know what is this dis so it's like a well disturbing is something that goes along with that you know, and you know what's been a disturbing uh trend to me from my eyes and just in just some not all but some of the the the, the generation just behind me is this desire to not have a period to not go to to eliminate the like eliminate these cycles eliminate this unknown like to to try and masculinize the the feminine flow and um, so many of those things are wonderful mm -hmm. I mean you and I are both allowed to sit here and have a podcast conversation with each other and write a book and teach and earn our own money and have our own homes and 
you know, these things are, you know, these are, are wonderful. I can be educated and, you know, it, we, these things are being integrated into um, the patriarchal society as it stands are essential. But there's this little bit of disturbing trend of, um, of, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't know if I'm right or not, of the sameness. And even talking about uh, gender, the you know, non-binary gender, people that don't identify with one particular gender is, is something that's very real right now. And so, so with all of this, and the depth of your work around the womb specifically and around the Yuhani specifically, I'd love to know um, your reflection on how that flows into um, every embodiment, every human embodiment. <laughs> oh, you see... This is where it gets really interesting. <laughs> because if we live in a culture that wants to eradicate cyclical wisdom, basically what, what's going on with that? It's like it's you, there's a sense that we can make choices about everything and we can make decisions about everything and then we can kind of pin it all down so that actually you're not experiencing the ebbs and the flows of the tides of your hormones. And so you're basically, to me, a lot, a lot of disconnected from those flows by our culture's insistence that they're kind of shameful and inconvenient and they're an impediment to progress and they're an impediment to, you know, whatever education and career paths and all those things that people think matter then actually that disconnection leads you to not even have... So people who never experience those things. If you go on the pill when you're very, very young, you don't get to experience like the natural ebbs and flows of your own particular cycle. Right. So that's one set of things. And how does, how does that tie into like waves of what appears to be a really beautiful day, which I celebrate? You know, I've spent, spent a, a lot of my life, you know, supporting the kind of freedom that allows us to make choices, express our own sexuality and our own um, desires in ways that we don't want to be judged for. What business is it of yours when, you know, I, I choose to have a wife or a husband, you know? What business of yours is it to, to give me any judgments or grief about, about how I choose pronouns I choose. This is my business. And there's definitely, you know, how can you not fully support that sense of personal liberty? You know, that's, that's, that diversity and fluidity is to be welcomed. Hmm. And if there's such a sense of kind of really deep grief and distress about the presence of physical um, cycles that are, are deeply feminine, then there's something quite strange going on sometimes. And it's very hard to know how these things are connected or disconnected. I mean, and I'm not in a position to like offer really fully things about them. What, what I see is that most of my work is with women who grew up as girls. So there is a need, I feel, to really support the experiences of, of women who grew up as girls uh, because many things happen to girls that don't happen to boys. There's all kinds of things that can happen. So a lot of the work that I do around menstruation, around the onset of menstruation, and around the suffering that, that women throughout their lives, right through to menopause, can have because of something that happened around the shame that was loaded upon them when they first began to bleed. And there's so much work to be done around that that most of my work focuses on that, really. Mostly I see women who grew up as girls who identify as women and who are trying to make peace with uh, their first bleed and with all the shame that's been surrounding that. And that's kind of where I am. Like I spend a lot of time with blood and with, with humans <laughs> that bleed and humans that have uteruses and humans that menstruated. And so I'm kind of, I'm up to my eyes in blood. So it's kind of, <laughs> I'm not a very good person to give you a view because what I see is that that blood and the shame that we have around that blood is like a whole, I've got a 
on my own to deal with this little this little set of circles. And so, but like I have, you know, at a personal level, in terms of the expression of my own sexuality and and uh, the 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 love for liberty and freedom that I have, you know, I fully welcome all of this. You know, diversity. You know, so that that's welcome, and I don't. I feel that there's a there's a lot of conversations that need to be had, and we can't have them sometimes unless people have done their own or language around women and their blood, really. <laughs> it's just like, and then around how we make peace with that when we come to menopause and all of that. So right, I don't right, know if right. that's a really helpful answer, but no, it was really it was a, it's a great that we can't really get. Yeah. No, and I, and I think it's it's Ooh. to this this idea of the personal individual cycle and the personal individual exploration of that and this healing of this long trajectory of growing up as a girl in the culture as it is now that can only benefit everyone. I, I want to switch gears quick to the to the um, to the beautiful yantras that you um, include in your book. I've been really experiencing super uh, effects just from working with them a little bit. And I, and I'm curious about that uh, as something that could be a window in for this kind of bridging of the gap. Do, do you get what I'm getting at? So, cause they're so, yeah. fem- they're so feminine, right? They're so rooted in the feminine, but the experience of them, is not only for for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it might be useful for some of the. It's like a, a geometric form that encases and in, embodies the energy of a particular, in these cases, particular goddesses of the ten wisdom goddesses. Mm-hmm. And so, rather than a mandala being circular, the yantras usually have a beautiful square form with four gates on each side of the square and you enter in very delicately and with beautiful awareness with your eyes or if you're creating a yantra, you start from the outside and you work in to connect with this energy and of the, the goddess. And I need to give credit where it's due. All of the yantras in Yoni Shakti were painted by my husband, uh, Nilip Tatuli. It's seven years for him to paint them. And each yantra in the book is about the size of a page but actually in our yoga studio at home, there are good, I mean, I've, my arm's wide open here. I don't know how many, they're like three, four foot across square. So, and they're very powerful. And they took seven years to paint their oil on linen and their traditional structures, but he's intuited certain color ways and, and, and coloring system. And I think that many people find them very powerful and moving Um and they don't know what, they just like gaze at them. <coughs> and um, you're drawn into these, like these little worlds of the powers of God. And I just think that it's a beautiful way to meditate because it's not really very cognitive. It's not verbal. They're very visual entities. And when you look into them, you kind of go into them. I mean, the ones we have at home are huge. Like when you look at them, they're, you know, they're wider than your shoulders. So you're inside them. But looking at the ones in the book, and we made them into a little set of cards as well. So you can look at them individually and carry them with you. And I just think they, they actually genuinely, in those visual forms, they, they encase power. They kind of, uh, they clothe the body of, of the goddess and her energies. They're so, I think they're very, in some ways, very accessible, even though they look quite esoteric, you know, it's sort of, it's not really esoteric, direct, it's almost like you're in direct communication with that form of energy. So with the 10 wisdom goddesses, it's with the 10 different yeah. aspects of, of, of femininity, that, that, which is how I sit, not, not everybody sees them that way. <laughs> oh, so no, I don't know if that answers fantastic. your question, but I think no, it's no, really no, they're very, very yeah. beautiful tool, and and I just think, um, I think, uh, you know, I shared one with a friend of mine, and you know, I didn't say anything about it, <laughs> and I think it was it was mm. kind of a cool, um, it was kind of a cool, a seduction, but without being leading into any anything. 
So I felt there was a seductive energy to it. And, and, and this is, you know, again, back to sexuality and, you know, I, I'm in the States. So, you know, we have the, the forced, um, whatever, uh, history around sexual repression. We don't, you know, it says no, no, by any means it's not France or, you know, it's just so, so I think that, you know, this, the connection of the power of the sexual energy of the feminine and this unknown thing of the yoni, unpredictability. There's something nice I felt like in that, in the geometry that in like that just kind of opened that space without needing it to be, uh, you know, consummated <laughs> per se, but it kind of inv invited this gentleman into that area without any, um, you know, flirtation or something like that. That was the energy that I just felt shift when I shared that with him. So, so I guess I just was, you know, it's interesting. I didn't realize, I think I read it in there. I didn't realize it was your husband that had painted them. So I love that. Um, yeah. That's part of it. Yeah. Yeah, and he, he painted the antlers, but there's also in the book, um, and on, on the set of, the, we did a little deck of cards, and each one has an, a, a figure as well. So they appear as a as a human sort of figure as in different forms, and they're very powerfully um, naive drawings that are, uh, they're modeled on the Madhubani folk art, which is a folk art of women in Bihar, in, in northeast mm -hmm. India. And um, which is the matrilineal line of my husband, so his his, his maternal line comes from that part of India. Oh, so it was that. a really nice connection. So I think the two things are quite different. Like you get you get all the stories about the goddess, then you get the yantras, which are these beautiful coloured geometrical shapes, and then you get these really quite, some of them are quite scary. You know, like mm -hmm. the Tara and the Kali and the Chinamaster are very fierce. They're like cutting off heads and their own heads sometimes and holding very fierce weapons. But they're very powerful symbols. And when I share about them, I often do um, opportunities to connect them. I honestly feel that these presences, whether they're in the Yantra or in these little images of these very fierce looking ladies, that they're real, you know, kick ass women, that they were real, they were legendary, you know, wow. they were like so powerful, Tara was a, and I just, I mean, I literally have just finished now, we're working in this beautiful meditation center in the Moulin de Chavin, in the Dordogne, and, and the new temple that they built, or the new meditation hall is the Tara Hall, and there's a beautiful Buddhist image of green Tara, we were just chanting Tara there, but this Hindu tantric Tara, She's got weapons, you know. She has an axe, she has scissors. She has, you know, um, she's a powerful force to disentangle us from delusion and guide us. And I, I think that that energy is is very tangible. And when I introduce them and work with them, the way that the book came through me was actually that they were visitations. They, these were like very powerful. Um, uh, entities or, or presences, like the presence of different aspects of femininity demanding to be seen. So it's great for people to be looking at these yantras, reading these stories and looking at these, these <laughs> scary yeah. drawings because it's every aspect of femininity is demanding, not just like the sexy 16-year-old, but like the old crone. And the, the troublesome middle-aged lady who just tells you it like it is. All of these ones are aspects of femininity. The wild poet who, 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 who really, you know, tells you the truth. So there's truth speaking and, and sweetness and generosity and bad-tempered fierceness. And all of that is an aspect of the deep feminine. And that's why people are scared of it because it's like it's all of those things. It's not just, you know... A sweet and charming, fertile, sexy Aphrodite type goddess. There's there's there's, there's nine others. <laughs> They're all on her team. Right. <laughs> well, so okay, so um, so I want to 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 talk about this one other thing that you've done, and I, I don't think it was, I think it was your retelling of someone else's retelling uh, about um, okay. yoga, the yoga, the development of yoga. And I, I don't, my book, I'm traveling oh. and I, 
it, how you tell the story of the, I don't remember which uh, goddess it was or what the character was, but she's just stretching her body and resting over rocks and, you know, which, which would be like a bridge pose or, uh, you know, doing all these stretches and that her, her lover is, is watching her through the, yeah, can you, can you tell that a little bit? I, I, I love this reimagined of, yeah, of where yeah, wisdom comes from. Special. Yeah. So Angela Farmer is now 80 years old. Angela Farmer is an exquisitely powerful yoga called The Feminine Unfolding. And uh, she lives in Lesbos in a goddess temple, as far as I'm concerned, that's where it is. And she was for a very long time a top student of, of Iyengar's. So she was like an international Iyengar yoga person. Anyway, and all kinds of things happened to her. And she told me this story of the... She says that it's Parvati who invented yoga because mm. there's a story of uh, how Shiva invented yoga. That's the usual story is that Shiva tells all of the stories and secrets of yoga to Parvati. And the story is that Parvati falls asleep and that instead of Parvati hearing it, then uh, Mats, Mats, uh, Matsya hears it, a fish in the river. And it's Higita and Shiva turns Matsya into Matsyendranatha, the great yogi. And that that's how the, the lineage of yoga begins. But Angela Farmer says, oh, no, that's not the case at all. She says exactly as you remember that she says it was a natural unfoldment in the delight and joy that the goddess Parvati, Shiva's wife, has living at the top of uh, Mount Kailash or in their paradisical home. And she's just delightfully taking care of herself, self-care. You know, it's a woman's self-care practice. She's mm. moving and breathing and stretching and twisting and, you know, and she's observed. And so the story is that Shiva is, he's, he's prohibited from coming to her. She says, this is my private time. And, you know, you Shiva Ji, you need to go away and go meditate somewhere. But I, this is my secret time. And she, I imagine her in some phenomenal bath, you know, with the, uh, just <laughs> loads of animals, anyway, beautiful tropical stuff and sandalwood paste. And she's anointing herself. But the point is he gets to see her and he's fascinated by all the moves and the breathing. And so he goes away and meditates on it and he codifies it and he turns it into a system because that's what it's a very masculine thing to do with this. So he turns everything that she's done out of her natural intuitive self-care program and movement into a system. And then all of Shiva's devotees, his garners, and he's known for having some pretty wild you know, gangster type followers. <laughs> He'll take anyone, you know. So they all come to him in the jungle and they see him practicing. And they're like, oh, Shiva Ji, Shiva Ji, you must tell us how to practice this stuff. This is amazing. He goes, no, this is yoga. And this is my private thing. And I'm not going to train anyone. But anyway, they keep on at him. <laughs> and so one day he says, well, look, bring your yoga mats. Come in the morning early. And that he lines them all up and he starts training them, you know, inhale up, exhale down, right foot back, left foot back. <laughs> and when Angela Farmer told me the story, a good, a good, as a good ex Iyengar practitioner of these straight arms, like little soldiers, you know, like in the military, like a drill. And so Shiva drills all of his, his, uh, his followers. And then at the graduate, like they've been at some yoga TTC their yoga teacher training course, and he graduates them, and he sends them out into the world. He says, you can set up the Yoga Institute of, uh, you know, Albuquerque, and you can set up the, the yoga school <laughs> of uh, Colorado, and you can go and run the yoga school of Delhi, and you people over there can run the New York City Academy of Yoga Science and Arts or whatever it is. So he sends them all out, and then they all run, you know, and you know what happens. The story is that yoga ends up as this commodified military practice that everybody does in lines. It was never like that anyway. It was always individuals teaching other individuals. Anyway, so one day Parvati looks down from her lovely bathroom as she's doing her stretches and she's like, oh my God, <laughs> what <laughs> happened? You know, she just laughs at them all because it's so far removed from her own feminine unfolding practice, which is what Angela Farmer teaches, that she doesn't even recognize it and she just laughs at them all. So yeah, I love that story. So yes, yeah, Well, and Farmer it really encapsulates of kind of the... Reinvention of how it, it, it encapsulates kind of where we started, you know, this conversation and in, in, in the heat and the, the heart of it, which is this, the unpredictability and the, you know, that, that wildness, that openness, that birth and death and blood, that flow, that sensuality, that, uh, that, that, uh, that we are working with teachers like you to, 
reconnect with that, that those cities and to be able to use them properly uh, and, and mm. successfully, you know, in our lives and in our world to the benefit of the, of the whole. And, and so I'm just so super, yeah. super grateful for your book and, and so happy to have um, gotten a chance to, to connect with you. And I look forward to meeting you sometime in person and maybe getting to one of your trainings. I encourage everybody to grab a copy of Yoni Shakti and go oh, to yonishakti.co and uh, look for any events where Uma might be in your area and, and go meet her, study with her. And um, thank you so much, Uma. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.